Hey everybody, welcome to The Green Room. We're in Disrupt TV. And next week is a really big week. There are two things going on. And before we introduce our guests and our co-host, Val Afshar, and our awesome producer, Elle, we've got Dreamforce next week. But even bigger is this announcement for Boundless. This book comes out September 13th. It's Val Afshar's book. Make sure you get it. He releases September 13th, Smack in the Middle Dreamforce. Now, other than that, Welcome to our awesome guests. And I'm going to ask them where they're coming in from. And of course, what are they talking about today? So we'll start with Katie. Where are you coming in from? And what are we talking about? Hello, everyone. I am Katie Novak. I live in Massachusetts in one of the suburbs of Boston. And I'm here with my amazing colleague today, Dr. Kristen Rodriguez, to talk about how we can deconstruct and reconstruct our school systems so that all students have access to really meaningful, authentic, deeper learning experiences that will allow them to be wildly successful in whatever path they choose after we send them out into this crazy, beautiful world. Wow, from Dr. Katie to Dr. Kristen, tell us more. And keep in mind, my mom was a special ed teacher. So. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, we, you know, we need to invite her, invite her in next time we speak. My name is Kristen Rodriguez, and I am coming into you from the eastern coast of Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are so excited to be able to be here to talk about how we can look at our systems and schools in really thoughtful, uh, explicit ways. We can make shifts and changes that will have a meaningful impact on the success of our students. So excited to be here. Very, very cool. Thank you for joining us. Laurel, welcome. Where are you coming in from? What are we talking about? Hi, Ray. Bala. I'm thrilled to be here. I am coming in from New York, and today we are talking about crushing student debt and enabling hardworking Americans, yes, as we continue the education conversation here, enabling hardworking Americans to go beyond student debt into savings and retirement savings as a workplace benefit. And actually, Salesforce is one of our customers offering candidly to all of their employees. So I'm so excited and, and thrilled to be here. We'll have to talk about Bala's account in a bit. All right, cool. <laughs> Sharon, where are you coming from? What are we talking about? Hey guys, Sharon Vindreen. I am coming in from Toronto, Canada. And we're gonna be talking about a few different things. Uh, something called award washing. Uh, we're also gonna be talking about how PTPA, that's our organization, is disrupting traditional advertising by prioritizing authentic peer reviews. So that's a really big part of what we're going to be covering today. Well, well if everyone's hasn't figured it out yet, the theme of the show is really about kids, students, education, access, opportunity, and advancement. And with that, I'll turn it back to you, Al. All right. Three, two, one. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter, X, at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished uh, guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I see Ray on TV every day. He's a regular television business tech news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Bloomberg. In my opinion, he's one of the top features to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. 
I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar, the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence and his new book, Boundless, A New Mindset for Unlimited Business uh, Success, will be available this September 13th and can also be pre-ordered today on Amazon. But, you know, it's executives around the world. They're following Vala. They're paying attention to every one of his inspirational tweets and insights. And when he's not hosting keynoting and talking about business and tech uh, in TV outlets such as Bloomberg or at events at Salesforce, he's there, out there, sharing with you these insights and these experiences in person. So take a look for him and catch him at Dreamforce. But it's not about us. It's about our amazing guests. And of course, who do we have to bring back today from episode 197? Oh my God. <laughs> we have one of the I world's top. Really old. <laughs> we have one of the world's top <laughs> community builders. We have Sharon Vinarine, founder of Parent Tested, Parent Approved. Sharon is dynamic founder and CEO of Parent Tested, Parent Approved, an influential awards platform boosting a community of, wait, listen to this, over 250,000 genuine families. PCPA serves as a go-to resource across North America for families seeking to discover and vet products that truly make the grade. As a recognized authority on family consumer trends, Sharon is often invited to speak on topics ranging from women in business and digital safety for families to data-driven consumer insights and kids' influence on spending. Sharon has appeared over 300 television programs and various television networks. She's founder of the, she was founder of the first wireless internet company in Canada. She's the recipient of the RBC Canadian Woman Entrepreneur Award, the Stevie Award for Female Entrepreneur of the Year, and Woman of Inspiration Award. You can follow Sharon on Twitter at PTPA Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N. Welcome back, Sharon, to the Shark TV. Thanks, guys. I wish every conversation just started with somebody as enthusiastic as you reading out a bio. That would be a great way to walk into every single room. Karen, I had to cut your bio short because we only have 20 minutes. You do a lot. So thank you for being here. No, thank you, guys. Really excited to be here with you guys today. Lala has some of the best bios in the world, so you, you got you to start there. But more importantly than that is really the fact that we've seen a shift, right? Um, traditional advertising is getting crushed. Uh, people are looking at authenticity. They're thinking about trust. And you know what? People prefer real reviews from real people. Like, who would have thought that instead of paid content and media? So tell us how you've been disrupting that market and, and really what has been that impact you know, on authenticity and trust? Yeah, sure. So like you said, traditional marketing is really taking a hit. Traditional marketing is all about a brand yelling at you. We're the best. We're amazing. Buy us because we said you should. With our program, we were all about let's disrupt this by actually getting feedback from peers. Because when you're going out to buy something or I'm going out to buy something, we are inevitably calling one of our friends, asking one of our peers, hey, what did you use? Was it effective for you? Did it do what it said it was going to do? And we're typically buying based on those types of recommendations. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was an entire organization where the sole focus was building a seal of approval so that when either of you walked into a store and saw an aisle full of choices, you saw a seal on one of them that helped you pick and know that it was peer endorsed so much more valuable than a brand telling you to buy their product. Yeah, that's a very big point. And actually we're seeing, I mean, that's the need right now. People are looking for that authenticity. They expect that trust. They expect that level of conversation. Yeah, absolutely. They, you know, everybody or consumers in general now are much savvier than they ever were before. So yeah. fake reviews, they're all familiar with influencer-based advertising, they're familiar with it. So what worked 10 years ago does not work anymore. Now they want authenticity. They are not gonna go through 10,000 e-reviews on that Amazon product page. They wanna call somebody who they trust. They want to follow people on Instagram that they trust and they want their product recommendations in order to make those purchasing decisions. So it's a trusted friend that's more important than the TV commercial or the magazine ad these days. Yeah. And, you know, like one of our friends, uh, Rachel Happ at the Community Roundtable, I'm sure you know her. She's uh, been talking about this power of community. So, but hey, Bala, hey, I'll, I'll let you, go ahead. So, 
Yeah, I, I'm interested that, you know, a tech pioneer, the first wireless company in Canada, and you shift to building this enormous influential community. What was the inflection point? Like, was it was a personal experience where, you know, you were you follow the, you know, a company's uh, marketing and only to be disappointed with the product or service? Or, you know, how did you how did you make that pivot to to to, to leading PTPA? So, Vala, what you're saying is that it's not a natural shift. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, so totally. Um, so luckily, um, when I created the wireless internet company, um, I was spending years on rooftops, aligning antennas, because back in the day, that's the way we were doing things in the 90s. Um, and I got pregnant and I thought, yes, exactly. Um, I got pregnant and I thought, this is really going to suck. Standing on a rooftop pregnant, don't want to be doing that. Uh, great opportunity came our way to sell the organization. And I did that and became a new mom. And I was running out buying anything and everything for this perfect child. And I was going to spend anything because, you know, what's more important than your child? Sure. So I was going to stores and buying what was the most expensive or what looked the best in the packaging. And then I would bring it home and inevitably these products did not live up to expectations. So they mm -hmm. looked great, but they actually didn't perform. If it was a garment, I'd wash it a few times, it would fall apart. If it was a toy, it would drop a few times and it would break. So I would call friends and inevitably their feedback was the best recommendation. And I wanted to find a way to help sift through those piles and piles of products, especially originally at a stage where moms are doing the most research. When they are pregnant, when they are first having children, that is when they are uber focused on research. So if there's a way to help simplify their life, because having kids, there's nothing simple about that. I wanted to create something that would add that level of simplicity to the whole overwhelming experience of shopping. And how quickly did you know, wow, there's a demand for this. This is gonna take off. Uh, was it was it instant uh, where, you know, like minded parents who care about safety and obviously their children more than anything else uh, knew that this peer network is absolutely what we need to make better, more informed decisions? Right. So I'd love to say it was instant, um, but it was <laughs> definitely not instant. Kind of like most entrepreneurial ventures, yeah. it was yeah. a lot of so parents completely bought into this and completely believed in it. But then you're going to brands and saying, hey, brand, we'd love you to participate in our program to earn this seal of approval that absolutely nobody but my nearest and dearest friends and family have heard of. Why would they spend money on a program like that, sure. right? So sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it took building credibility on my own. And that was why we turned to television. It was me harassing producer after producer, because back in the day, TV was the golden ticket. If it was on TV, then of course sure. it was trustworthy. So sure. it, it definitely took time. But then what was beautiful, and I know we uh, touched on this earlier in the intro, um, community came about. So one mom would tell another mom, hey, I had this great opportunity to test products through PTPA. I got these products for free. And all I had to do was give my feedback. And one mom tells the next mom. And then I remember a great story um, I had created back in the day when they were new, Facebook pages. Um, and somebody posted on this page, um, okay, nobody really gives anything for free. This is a scam. And I had all of these moms jump in going, no, no, no. Here, I got this VTech toy. No, I got these bottles. And it was like, I don't need to do anything. I've created this amazing group of brand ambassadors who are passionate about helping other families find the best products. That's awesome. But then enter award washing, <laughs> right? Like yeah. everything yeah. on the website is like clickbait, right? It's set up as, and you're right, right? You know, it's, it's like, hey, Taylor, Taylor Swift, Apple, and hey, in the enterprise, like what's going on? Would you like, I mean, it's like, it's messed up, right? <laughs> so let's talk about where you are on head washing because this thing is real, so. Yeah, so I, 
this award washing business kind of drives me nuts. So I'm thrilled to have a platform to talk about it. So these days it looks like everything is this top pick and top rated and must have. And, you know, there is a new award every single day. The brands are coming to me going, hmm, you know, I work with you, but what's this other award? I'm like, I've never heard of it because it literally appeared two days ago. And here's the differentiator. A lot of these other awards are either popularity contests. So, you know, um, fill out this survey for a chance to win an iPad. Would you buy this product? Yes. Okay. Then it's our number one product today. Um, a lot of them are editorial focus, right? It's a pay for play. So with us, yes, brands are paying for the opportunity to have their product tested and gain market research from us. But what happens is if they don't earn our seal of approval, they actually get a refund. So we are the only organization in North America that does that. And in order to earn our seal, and again, we are the only ones that do this, the product has to get shipped to members of our community for in-hand product testing. Those families complete a detailed survey about their experience. So we're not asking things like, okay, um, you know, are all of the components, do they all seem safe? And is it made of BPA free plastic? But we're asking a question that one parent would ask another parent. Did it do what it promised? Did it live up to expectations? Did it have, you know, what, if it's a kid's toy, was it used over and over again? The kinds of things that are really important in an economic time where, you know, every dollar is incredibly valuable. So award washing is a real thing. Like you said, there are just, there's a new award every day. So I encourage your viewers to really research what kind of awards they are trusting and make sure there's actually a backbone behind those awards programs. That's great advice. Did Sharon, you tell I'm passionate about the topic? Yes, yes. And good news, uh, Disrupt TV has never won an award. <laughs> So we, we, we are not on anyone's list. I wish there was a PTPA for podcasts. We're going to create one. That would be awesome because Ray and I, after seven years, would like to get some sort of recognition. Right. But uh, you know what we're doing. We yeah. are over 100,000 views and yet no awards. Um, advice, to, <laughs> advice to company founders, advice to chief marketing officers. How, what would you tell, I mean, we, we just did a research at Salesforce that, you know, over 72% of uh, consumer contact is now digital. So yeah. there's new channels, whether it's TikTok or you mentioned Facebook or social channels and, and, and mobile apps and websites and community forums. What advice do you have for chief marketing officers who deeply care about organic, like you said, word of mouth advocacy, where you start to not only establish trust, but establish long-lasting relationships because, you know, you're dealing with transparency and honesty and you're really trying to make sure the community doesn't open the box only to be disappointed yeah. from, you know, putting their hard-earned dollars towards a product or a service. 100%. So obviously we need to start with a good product. So if you're, if, if an entrepreneur is in it to make a quick buck these days, that doesn't happen anymore because it's going to take about a minute and a half before somebody figures out you have a lousy product and it spreads like wildfire across social media. So a product that actually has value that stands up to expectations, but then the way you market it needs to be different. So like I was saying earlier, it's not an influencer world anymore because Kim Kardashian and I, like, she doesn't resonate for me, quite frankly. So you can hire her to be a brand ambassador, but I'm not going to buy a product because she's the brand ambassador. So I want to hear from real, authentic people that I can relate to. That's incredibly important. I think, um, you know, Instagram is obviously a great medium for advertising. You will see me on Instagram talking about a product, not looking all glam, but looking like a mom looks, like I'm gonna be wearing jeans, I'm gonna be wearing a t-shirt. I wanna be relatable because at the end of the day, I am, I am going to trust people that, you know, are at the same life stage as me, that are relatable. And I think even as um, business owners, CMOs, like there are so many more businesses out there that are showing the highs and are showing the, the lows of building mm -hmm. a business. 
because I think that that also builds an emotional connection with a consumer, right? And once you build that emotional connection, they're not just buying your product because it was on sale, but they're buying your product because they believe in you and your organization and what you stand behind. So stand behind something, not just making a dollar, but stand behind a cause, a, um, a, a reason for somebody to support your business. Um, align with things that are important. You know, we choose to align with children's hospitals and all kinds of organizations that really wow. impact families. Wow. So choose to find something like that to align with. Great advice. This makes a lot of sense. Purpose, build authenticity, building that trust. A quick last question here. Would you ever create a PTPA loyalty program? A loyalty program, tell me more. Right, where you bring together the reviewers of folks, right? You bring together products, right? Uh, referrals into products, right? To get people in like that way. Um, because you have one side of the network, which is everyone sharing their reviews and sharing what they have. And then the other side is actually bringing in new people into the community. Just a thought, so. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because word of mouth, right? That's what the basis of our business is. So 100%, and you know what? We make sure that we try and act in the most authentic way possible because that word of mouth is going to be how we continue to grow the community. We haven't spent money on building our community. It has been word of mouth, television appearances, but that's it. So absolutely, uh, I will be taking that to the team once we hang up here. <laughs> that's awesome. Where was Sharon Vinderlin and founder of Parent Tested Parent Approved PTPA. Thank you so much for being here. You can follow her at PTPA Sharon. And more importantly, you're watching how. We love it. Centralized. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks so much. Bye. Very cool. The, that's amazing. 250,000 families. That's That's quite an accomplishment. Uh, we, we, all, we always are fortunate to have the best and brightest CEOs come on Disrupt TV, and this is no exception. Uh, Laurel Taylor, CEO and founder of Candidly. Six years ago, Laurel was on a fast track to reaching her career goals. But the weight of the student debt she and her mother had racked up to fund her education was about $200,000. Uh, and that was holding Laurel back from realizing her full potential. So Laurel took matters in her own hands and in 2016 founded Candidly to address unmet and urgent market needs uh, for smart solutions that support individuals and families through every step of planning, borrowing, and repayment experiences. As someone, it took me, I think, 10 plus years to repay my college uh, debt, which was really not fun. Candidly is an AI-driven student debt and saving optimization platform that addresses the full life cycle of education expenses. I'm proud to say Salesforce Ventures is an investor in Candidly and Salesforce is a customer of Candidly. Candidly is on a mission to make trusted, intelligent, and comprehensive solutions that enable Americans to reap the rewards of that investment so they can build financial wellness and wealth. No pun intended, because candidly, college should help propel people forward, not hold them back. Uh, please follow Laurel on Twitter at Laurel, uh, L-A-U-R-E-L, Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, number one. Welcome, Laurel, to Disrupt TV. Bala, thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here today. And that was an incredible intro. That was, thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The world's best from after. Definitely. <laughs> so, but hey, thanks for coming in, right? Amazing career. You did ventures at Google and partnerships and fun stuff. You went to some three-letter university uh, in Boston. It's amazing, right? So, you know, but before you founded this company, right? I mean, what was it like? What did you learn about financial wellness and student debt? Like, you know, what were the insights that gleaned from you, your peers, people you talked to? Let's start there with the origin story. Oh, I'd love to, Ray. I'd love to. And I think Sharon was talking about authenticity. So as Vala shared, I had a lot of student debt, uh, more, mm -hmm. more than I would have, that I'd like to ever admit. But, you know, I think I grew up, I'm, I grew up like most Americans today. And Vala, it took you about, it sounds like it took you about 10 years to pay down your debt. On average, it takes most Americans 17 to 20 years. I grew up in a household where I knew I was going to college. I never questioned that. Same. 
so grew up in households that really valued the, the value of education and primarily in the household I grew up in, it was about lifetime earnings and really getting up and out of daily financial stress and distress. So my mom made about $24,000 a year as a social worker. And so I knew education was the way for me. I never questioned how I would uh, go to college. I took out scholarships and grants and federal loans and private loans. I went on my way. I had the opportunity to pursue my dream uh, of uh, a graduate education. And what I didn't know through that journey is that between my mom and I paying down debt, we would miss out on two decades of compound interest on wealth. Oh. Two decades on debt, two decades of compound interest on wealth lost. And that, to, you know, really understanding the financial implications of sequential progress. So it turns out those of us who have student debt, I wasn't alone. My mom wasn't alone. We first pay down our debt and specifically our student debt. And MIT and TIAA did a, an age lab study where they found, wow, 80% of people first pay down their debt before they save at all for the future, savings, retirement savings. And so our mission is to enable simultaneous progress through digital and by offering candidly as a workplace benefit, just like 401k, just like tuition reimbursement, really being a new normal in workplace benefit offerings. Yeah, no, I first amazing. saw that study in uh, 2019, the Age Lab study. I think that was uh, pretty interesting, right? Because you just, you miss out, you miss out twice. And, and that's huge. So, sorry, Vala, go ahead. No, no I, you know, same household for me. I mean, I'm an immigrant. My parents value education. My mom is still disappointed to date that I didn't get my doctorate. Um, I, I, I left after grad school. And uh, she reminds me to date, to date, she reminds me. <laughs> yeah, Ray, I thought I thought when I published a book or got a U.S. patent or a cool job at Salesforce, she would get off my back. Hasn't been the case. Oh, really? But, the book works but, for me. <laughs> but, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sure you're in the same boat. Yeah. Uh, I've met your family and they're super educated. Uh, and so you have the pressure. But, you know, when, when you read 47 million students that have collective over $1.8 trillion in, 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 in student debt and you know, most households, they don't even have $400 of savings. It's, 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 it's just mind numbing. But also in your role of trying to, as Steve Jobs said, put a dent in the universe to help these 47 million students raising money as a CEO of a startup in this climate, certainly the last 12 months, is, is Herculean effort. Harder than perhaps the last 10 years, in my opinion. And yet, congratulations, you just raised $21 million for Candidly which uh, again, demonstrates your superpowers. What did you learn going through this uh, VC funding winter that we've been in? And, yeah. and, and, and what are investors looking for? Like, please, we have lots of founders that watch the show. Please help our founders figure out how you were able to achieve this incredible success. Well, thank you. I feel incredibly fortunate. I am so grateful for the investors that we have around our boardroom and you know salesforce ventures when y'all invested in our a it was you know these are these are making a dent in the universe the the dream you know starting out with a new category and i was laughed at i mean to be clear when i first started candidly wow. and had this vision of of course we have to have a digital experience and the largest liability second only to mortgages of course this should be offered as a workplace benefit over 80% of our employees are going to have student debt by 2025. You know, this is kind of sideswiped employers as this majority issue within the workplace. And of course, you know, leading from Google, we're not going to go to market through an inflationary CAC and direct to consumer. We're going to go to market through a deflationary CAC as an embedded finance solution. We are going to be distributed by the machinery already in the market. We are nice. going to integrate into the largest financial institutions in the world, like UBS and Vanguard and wow. Empower and PNC and Guild. And we're going to make their offering better. We're going to make it holistic. And we're going to ultimately drive, we're ultimately going to drive retirement savings because there will be policy change that will enable employers to offer a retirement match based on student loan payments. There will be policy that enables employers to offer tax advantage contributions to pay down student debt, just like tuition reimbursement. So one of those major, we had 
we had closed those incredible uh, channel partners who were distributing our offering. And back to what I've learned, and this directly flows into how we raise, you know, student debt is super complex, right? It's a sure. super complex space. You know, throw in a little three-year moratorium sprinkled with daily forgiveness talks. You know, it was uh, not ideal, not an ideal macro environment on top of the capital markets situation. Um, and also serving the enterprise is very complex. Serving channel partners and integrating into their holy grail of digital experience we did some things right and really, really well. And so as we were moving into our Series B conversation, the margin drives the mission. And we were able to have fun, the conversation about the fundamentals of, okay, well, our payback period on our enterprise deals is seven months for employers. Wow. It's two months for channels. We were cash flow positive post-Series wow. A for three months last year. Our burn was about $400,000 a month, but we were in the you know, tens of millions of revenue that we had generated. <laughs> we, you know, we, had, we strive to be profitable on every implementation. We have a cash flow positive marketplace business. So we really um, have always needed to be extremely focused on the fundamentals and to be stewards of our hard-earned, generated <laughs> uh, dollars that have been that have been invested into candidly, and really, I think because we're triple bottom line and social impact, mm. Altos, who you know is my dream investor, they they love hedgehogs, people that have one big problem they want to work on their whole lives, and uh, <laughs> they, they 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 you know they. I just had this dream of you know meeting Anthony Lee and 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 Honam. Um, they they loved the complexity of the problem that we were solving. They're very focused on capital efficiency. Um, of course, our 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 investors are are incredible. But I really they told me, hey, Lori, kind of got a chip on your shoulder. And I think they're I think they're right. And what I mean by that is, as a social impact company, I think you kind of almost can't talk about being social impact. You have to talk about the fundamentals of the business and the social impact nature of what you do is obvious. But um, the chip on my shoulder was like, we gotta, we gotta build a great business that's sustainable, and that's how we're gonna raise our Series B and, and our rounds afterwards. That's no, awesome. It's a, it's a great so you, story. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, I'm just you did the math. Language of business is finance. You did the math, and and I think that that's I'm I'm I'm, I'm guessing the struggle that you and your wonderful mom went through, uh, not only created maybe a chip on your shoulder, but lifetime purpose of making sure other great learners don't go through the challenges that you went through. I mean, so many, I made so many mistakes. You know, I only paid down my debt. I didn't save for the future. I didn't really know what to do. Like, so I was referred to y'all by Damon Limby, uh, who talks about the, 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 the trust tax, which I just so yeah. love. You know, yeah. Damon yeah. gave me my first job. He gave me my first job. I made 75 calls a day, dialed for dollars. My salary was $24,000 a year. And um, I didn't know that there were programs available that I could take advantage of to lower my monthly payment commensurate with my income because it was too hard. You have to have six months of time and a PhD in mathematics and access to a fax machine to figure out what those programs are and actually get into them. Like, of course, that should be... A digital experience is just automating those outcomes. So, machine, heart of the digital yeah. technology. It's amazing. <laughs> awesome. But uh, no, I had a chance to catch up with Damon. Uh, we got some lunch with some friends, his brother, and uh, it, was, it was good. Uh, it was a couple weeks back. And, uh, you know, we got a chance to chat about real estate and the markets and what was happening. You know, for you, it's actually what's interesting to me is the fact that um, if done properly, what you are able to do is to save a generation um, for entering the own generational doom loop. Uh, and, and what's going on is, is the fact that because there is no asset allocation or strategy to actually get someone out there, um, we're actually creating more indebtedness actually with student loans. The supply problem is really the higher education costs have gone too high and really you're not getting the value against it. The last Wall Street Journal college ranking was actually pretty interesting because it showed the schools that were actually not performing in terms of jobs. And I thought that was a very good ranking. Taking that, tying back to your algos as to where to make those investments is actually really smart. And on the back end, to me, what's also interesting is the fact that um, the wealth management houses get this. 
because they're on the long term for the life cycle of wealth management. And uh, UBS, of course, being one of the leaders in that space is one that understands that, you know, we've got hypos in debt that could actually be wealth creation and we're actually screwing it up. In fact, we're actually making it worse for everybody instead of better for everyone. And, and that to me is, is, is the magic behind that. But what happens with student debt repayment and all the other stuff that's going on now uh, with that and secure two, does that impact your business? It does. It impacts our, big, our, our business significantly. So what we're seeing with the end of the moratorium, uh, we've been in a, a three-year pause on student loan payments. So 43 million Americans have not had to pay their student loans for three years. They now have to pay. And I just want to share with you a couple of quotes that we've heard from the users that we have the privilege of serving. When they come to us, they say, um, I honest, now that the moratorium is ending and they have to enter back into repayment, the average monthly payment's about $393 a month. And to your point, wow. Ray, you know, most families don't have $400 wow. saved, period. Now yeah. we're asking users to find $400 a month. When consumer debt has exploded, when we've seen in the data their rent has increased by 7.2%. So what we're hearing are quotes like, I'm reading this off because they're quote, you know, line, line by line. I honestly don't know how we'll get by. Uh, this is going to force me to choose between rent and food. My paycheck just doesn't go as far anymore. It's stressful to think about adding this expense. Um, you know, returning to repayment will mean that I will struggle even more to afford day-to-day -day expenses. Now, the great news here is that through our personalized experience that we never charge the, the user for, it's offered as a workplace benefit. Uh, we, we, we reach and serve users where they work, bank, and experience financial services. There are new programs like SAVE, income-driven repayment programs, forgiveness programs. In less than six minutes, the average user saves $358 a month, a month on our platform, right? So this existential, that was a word that came up often. Through digital, we're able to really transform those outcomes. And this isn't content. This is personalized, syncing your loans, entering into the discovery selection and enrollment experience, leaving with an outcome. Now, Secure 2.0, and so it's just awesome that you uh, that you brought up UBS. Secure 2.0, this was blood, sweat, and tears of uh, what part of what I have worked on has been the vision from day one. There was a private letter ruling in 2018 to Abbott Labs that allowed them to offer a retirement match based on student mm -hmm. loan payments. And uh, as Sharon shared, it was not overnight, but four years later, Secure 2.0 passed, which enables hardworking Americans who are paying down their debt, they don't have to change their behavior to receive their retirement match. So we're talking about first time savers 47 million Americans. So UBS and I were at an event last night called The Wealthies. So I believe wealth is not just for the wealthy. It's for everyone. We create these moments of wealth discovery. And uh, UBS is a is a, an investor. They're also a partner and a distribution partner. They brought home an award. Mike Griffin, who's just really this visionary, Michael Berry in the space, um, for broker dealer enabling wealth management, we brought home this award. It's a, oh. a 401k, a 401k service and technology. But the there. Reason, there we go. There we go. The reason, you know, it's it is to me the most meaningful because what the heck does student debt have to do with 401k? It's no longer a blocker. It's actually a booster, and the wow. data show. For those who pay down, back to Vala. Okay, so let's imagine Vala is, you know, his 10 years, he's paying down his student debt. Let's imagine he puts zero into retirement savings during that time, like 80% do. Now well, let's imagine. It was all crypto. It's all crypto. Oh my God. Okay, that's a great, honestly, that's a great example, right? Or maybe put it somewhere else. And his employer offers a retirement match for just 50% of the time he's paying down his debt. Vala would have four hundred fifty thousand wow. dollars of retirement savings at the wow. time of retirement, which is four times what boomers have today. So this one tiny little provision of ninety-seven wow. provisions in Secure Two Point Zero will enable those who have zero in retirement savings or an average of like fifty thousand dollars to have four hundred fifty thousand dollars. 
That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. First of all, Ray's outing me because I bought a bunch of Bitcoin and Ethereum. So thanks, Ray. <laughs> I hope someday I laugh at that in a good way. Uh, but where were you? Where were you, Laurel, my, earlier in my life? My God, this is unbelievable. And as much as I want to end our interview talking about, you're a tech company. You have an AI-powered platform. So I want yes. your point of view on AI. But you just read a, 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 a letter, an email, a communication from a customer of yours that tugs at your heart. Yeah. Um, I mean, what advice do you have for other CEOs for six years? If you're getting emails and memos like you just read to us, it's got to just, first of all, fill you with joy because you're doing something good and you're changing people's lives. Not all CEOs have evidence that within a few minutes, somebody could save $400 and it could radically change their life. Yeah. Is, is, is How lucky are you to have that fuel uh, to fire, to, to have that fire in your belly to keep going and doing whatever you do? But to share some advice in the last six years of being CEO and how awesome it is to run a company that's actually helping people's lives get better. So you're choking me up, first <laughs> off. <laughs> um, you know, it is, it's incredible. We've generated a billion dollars of student debt savings for the users that we serve. Oh, wow. um, you know, six, six and a half years, it's, 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 uh, it's hard. It is like blocking and tackling. We created a new category. So the first four years truly were like blood, sweat, and tears, education, evangelizing. This was coming. We had to persist to the point of market adoption and the market forces pulling us in and the policy levers being pulled and this massive growth as, as a result. So I think it is, you just got to keep going. You have to just keep going um, and, and try to take care of yourself. I would say that's, that's the one piece of advice. Like I didn't go to the dentist for five years. I didn't go get a checkup for five years. Now, fortunately, everything is fine. Like, Fortunately, uh, I, you know, but uh, you know, I can go in another direction. So I would say take care of yourself. And the last thing I can't help but talk about it because we didn't have a chance to talk about AI. I'm sorry. I'm too long, um, long winded on the other topics, which is for those of us in embedded finance. I think it's really interesting to think about how we are innovating and integrating AI to personalize user experience and to surface micro actions and transactions to transform outcomes taking advantage of our position between the employer, the 401k record keepers, this connective tissue, and our ability to personalize experience. But I actually think large incumbents are really, really going to struggle. Mm. Um, and I, I think maybe have a bit of a different point of view on it, which is I'm not sure they have the internal resourcing mm. um, that are familiar and comfortable with large language models and AI, and that can actually get that into vendor risk and infosec the buying process and procurement process to actually enable it. And I think the next two years, user expectations are going to be like here on personalization of experience based on data. Yeah. And I think many incumbents are going to really struggle to figure out how to embrace that opportunity with just the challenges internally. Superb observation. Laurel, thank you very much. Uh, Chairman Brown, Chairman Scott, if you're in the Senate Finance Banking Committee, take a look here. Laurel Taylor, CEO and founder at Candley. Thank you so much for being on Twitter at Laurel Taylor one And sorry, Elon, it's still Twitter. Take care. Yeah, thanks, Laurel. <laughs> thank you so much. Wow, what an extraordinary CEO. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. I know she should be at Saster, but she's getting an award. This is awesome. You know? uh, well, this is our this is our cleanup hitter spot where we bring guests who typically you know hit a grand slam. So with that said, <laughs> we have Dr. Katie Novak and Dr. Kristen Rodriguez, authors of In Support of Students: A Leader's Guide to Equitable NTSS, Multi-Tiered Systems of Support. Katie, uh, please, so, uh, please give me some time with the introductions for our next two guests. Katie Novak uh, uh, is an internationally renowned education consultant, author, graduate instructor at the University of Pennsylvania, and former assistant superintendent of schools in Massachusetts, my home state. With 20 years of experience in teaching and administration, and earned doctorate in curriculum and teaching, and 12 published books. Ray, we got to step up our game. 12. Katie designs and presents <laughs> workshops both nationally and internationally focusing on implementation of inclusive practices 
Universal Design for Learning, Multi-Tiered System of Support, and Universally Designed Leadership. You can follow Katie on Twitter at Katie Novak, U-D-L, and that's K-A-T-I-E. Welcome, Katie. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. It's our pleasure to have you. And along with Katie, uh, working from her office in Puerto Rico, Dr. Christian Rodriguez serves as an advisor to schools nationally and internationally. Kristen spent her childhood living all over the world and is a recipient of the Anson Intercultural Research Award. Kristen lived in Massachusetts for over 20 years, again, my home state, <laughs> and worked as a teacher, principal, and superintendent of schools. Kristen founded Commonwealth Consulting Agency, uh, which offers PD and consulting to districts and state agencies. She's the author of two best-selling books. Ray, you're, I think you're only one. Two, so we have to step up our game. <laughs> and, multi- and numerous publications. Wow. Uh, you can follow Kristen on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Rodriguez 1. I'm sorry, Rodriguez 21. 21. Welcome, Katie and Kristen, to Disrupt TV. Thank you for having us. Hey, we're really excited to have you here. Uh, very interesting topic near to my house. Uh, and as when I mean that, it's uh, my mom used to do a lot of specialized education, had a master's in special education. It's been called different things throughout the years and, uh, you know, with different methodologies and different approaches. Uh, the one you guys are talking about here is, is new. It's different. Uh, it's been in use. Uh, it's called MTTP. Uh, let's start there and give people a foundation of what you're talking about. How's that changing uh, the way people learn, the, the way we access, the, the way people teach, uh, the way we think about education? So uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, whoever wants to go first. Yeah, I mean, I'll take it and then I'll toss it over to my amazing colleague. So what we're trying to do is to create a school system that works better for all the people. And that recognizes that first best instruction has to be designed to allow all students access to mastery of grade level standards while also really building their identity as a learner, having access to much deeper learning experiences that are authentic and meaningful, and then also building those really important creativity skills like critical thinking and problem solving. And so if we want all learners to have access to instruction that truly prepares them for their future, even when we do that really well, we have to acknowledge that some kids might need more support than others. And so what we're talking about is a multi-tiered system of support, which is essentially how do we design instruction so that everybody can be included, that everybody can find something worthwhile. And then using data really, really meaningfully so that when students need more support, we can provide that. Or if they need more challenge, we can provide that. So I love speaking in analogies. I was a teacher for a really long time. So I wanna present an analogy to talk about the MT part of MTSS, and then Kristen's going to talk about the SS part of MTSS, which is what are all the changes that would have to be made for us to be able to do this well. So when you think of a multi-tiered system, I want you to think about dentistry. And every single person in the universe should have access to first best dental instruction. Like, look at these pearly whites here. And to have these pearly whites, you need to make sure that you have your cleaning and your polishing and your flossing. And the dentist provides us with so many options and choices so that all of us go, right? Because they know, well, some people don't like mint, so you can choose bubblegum flavor. And some people are super scared of being in the dentist. So they have laughing gas and they have Novocaine. And my dentist has noise canceling headphones and you can like watch your favorite movie. It's fabulous, but it's designed so everybody can go to the dentist and then they take x-rays, which is super important for data. And they're going to say, Ooh, this is not enough for some people because they need cavities filled or they need braces or unfortunately I've had a couple root canals and implants. Right. And so in addition to having access to the dentist who is absolutely prepared and trained to meet the needs of all patients because of adequate training and tools and like a beautiful space, There's also other things that we're going to need, right? And what federal legislation says is that those things have to supplement and not supplant. So I have access to a dentist, but if I also need an orthodontist, then I get that. If I also need an endodontist, I get that. Now, what we often do in schools is we say, oh, you're not successful in a classroom with your peers. We're going to take you out and put you somewhere else. We're going to put you in special education. Special education is not a place. 
It is a service. And so we're creating this model where we're excluding all of these students who don't meet this mythical average because the design of that classroom is really exclusionary. And so a multi-tiered system is one that is designed so that every student has access to a classroom with their peers that is meaningful, that is authentic, that like brings them joy and reflects their identity. And then we use data to say, how do we provide those additional supports? But in order to do that well, there's lots of shifts that have to happen. So if we're going to have multi-tiers, we have to change the system. And Christian, why don't you talk about some of those system changes? Yeah. TS, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're back into systems of support. So really as educational leaders and um, whether it be within the classroom, whether it be politicians, whether it be elected officials within each of our cities and towns, it's really incumbent upon us to think about what resources districts need in order to shift their systems so that all students can be successful. And so that's a lot about what we talk about is how do we assess those systems? Do we have high quality instructional materials for both tier one in all classrooms and then for their intervention mm -hmm. materials? Do we have the appropriate staffing? Instead of an attendance officer, do we have an engagement officer who's really mm -hmm. more invested in encouraging students to come to school as opposed to a form of compliance to make sure that they come to school or they'll have to go to court, right? So we really want to think about this concept of engagement, not only in how we design our systems, but also in the classroom. When we talk about that tier one, we're really talking about making sure that everything is universally designed. And one of the core principles of universal design for learning is yeah. that affective network in our brain. So universal design for learning came from cognitive neuroscience and research out of Harvard, and they found that different networks in your brain need to be lit up in order to authentically learn. So the component of our brain around engagement is as important yeah. as what we're sharing and how we're assessing our students. And so we look at that concept of engagement, not only in the classroom, but in the design of the school systems that we have. How do we schedule our schools? How do we staff our schools? How do we resource our schools? What kind of flexibility and options are available to our students? So that's the SS component that we talk about. And, you know, you were talking earlier about AI and, you know, there's a real opportunity with the use of AI to support this design. We can sure. use AI in creating different approaches to scheduling. We can use generative AI to construct correspondence to our communities about the value and importance of this work. And we can use that in the classrooms to support inclusion and inclusionary practice. So things like Otter AI, which can capture notes for kids, Speechify, which can make oh. sure there's speech, uh, there's text to speech, there's speech to text options embedded. Um, you know, Khan Academy has a new uh, AI generated tutoring program that they make available. Overwhelmed teachers that need to support writing support can use something called SAAI, right? There's all these wonderful ways that we can use it. So we look at how do we design our systems in a way that's utilizing new technology to support these multi-tiers. And also, how do we kind of do that within a construct that's very traditional in nature? So making sure that we're working with uh, the, 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 the offices within local governance, um, our politicians and our school leaders to think differently about schools in ways that feel safe for them. It's great that you tied MTSS to emerging technologies like uh, generative AI and large language models aimed at improving efficiency, productivity, hyperscale personalization, uh, because there is a lot of news and, and there is a lot of talk about educator burnout. You mentioned educators being overwhelmed, uh, overworked. So uh, how can teachers best implement this, this, this uh, MTSS framework and, and program with the, with the spirit of this is going to help you deliver better outcomes in a more productive, more efficient manner? So we're definitely not only talking to teachers because it requires so much system support. Like are teachers getting really comprehensive professional development? Are they given time to collaborate with educators who have different levels of expertise? 
Do they have you know, access to really great emerging technology and the permission to use it? Because we work with some districts that will shut down AI in the district and block every student from having access to it. So I think that if we think of a multi-tiered system as being something that a teacher has to carry alone, that would be really overwhelming. What we're really advocating for is changing the system because our students can't be successful if our teachers are not given the support to be successful. Mm. And so how can we begin to support our educators and our leaders and communicate better with families? But once a teacher does have access to professional development and high quality mm. instructional materials and the autonomy and permission to use emerging technologies, I think it really comes down to this concept of universal design for learning and universal design for learning, which is endorsed in the United Nations in our federal Every Student Succeeds Act. That is a framework that's really focused okay. on firm goals and flexible means for learning by thinking about what are the barriers that are preventing learning. So for instance, I always use this really generic analogy that if I invited all of you over tonight for a drink and my firm goal was you're gonna have a drink and then I served you a chocolate mudslide, I'm excluding you if you're vegan, if you're lactose intolerant, if you don't drink alcohol. Now that's a ridiculous example, but everyone goes, well, why would you do that? Like, why would you have, you, you had red, hello. You had okay. red, hello. <laughs> yeah, you are a mythical average learner and you'll do well anywhere, right? Because we have no dietary. Needs. I love inflation, a little lactose. You know, yeah, a little lactose, a little, little gluten. I mean, it really is. I mean, we could make it a peanut butter mudslide and really go down that, that path. Or allergens, you know, anaphylactic shock. Why would you do wrong. that, Katie? Why would you do that? Your goal was just to have a drink. That's like, that's bananas. So why are we handing out hard copies of novels? Right? You're excluding anyone who is, doesn't have foundational reading skills yet, who is multilingual, who has visual impairment. So just as I can say, the goal is have a drink. Hey, do you want some water? You can have some tea. I have some mudslides, you know, or BYOB. In a classroom, we can say, I really want you to have access to this text. Do you need to access it digitally so you can translate it? Do you need to use AI to get a summary of it first to activate background knowledge? Do you want to read it alone? Do you want to read it with partners? So it's this firm goals, flexible means, just as a dentist gives us lots of options and choices. So we feel comfortable. We can get that appointment done, even if we're very, very fearful of the dentist. But we have to be giving teachers permission to recognize those barriers and eliminate them. And then they have to have the tools and the support to be able to do that. So I would say to advocate for this lens of what is universal design for learning and how do we realize all the barriers that are inherent in the design of our systems as they have been operating since the beginning of time. So when we, when we get to a point, right? I mean, we're spending what, almost 900 billion a year on education for K through 12. We're sitting about six, uh, 7% of the US budget is on education, we're sitting about $18,000 per pupil. Uh, are we gonna get efficiencies out of this? Because it sounds like a lot of stuff we're doing today is piecemeal, right? And we're trying to put together programs around things and it's not a whole view of the educational uh, opportunities for someone. Uh, and then how do you reallocate for, I mean, people on different levels of the spectrum, right? Because does the middle get carved out? Does the middle lose out? I mean, today I walk into public education, it's the bottom third that everyone's teaching to, and the top third is, is missed mm. out, right? Uh, in some places, you know, it's the middle that's uh, completely missed out and the top and the bottom are actually taken care of, right? And eventually people always feel like something loses. Uh, how do you make this more holistic? Uh, just in your approach on MTSS, is that by nature? You have to do it by design at front? I think you have to be really proactive in the design. And so one of the things we think about is the concept of designing systems that address variability, whether that be a system which supports students that are multiple levels above grade average or below grade average or at average, that these systems are designed to support all students, not just some all of the outcomes get raised. So when we did this in schools, our AP or SAT scores were at the highest five-year high of doing this work. So it was not just addressing the students that were struggling, but it addressed all. And when we talk about high, we're talking about 100% of them were calc, AP, Calc, A and B wow. uh, fives, the top score, right? 100%. So you know this does not have to lower the expectations within our classrooms or reduce rigor. We're talking about creating scaffolds so all students can succeed. But I think you know when we talk about the 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 infusion of change in education, that does not mean additional 
monies. It means thinking mm. thoughtfully about how we utilize our resources. The design, the allocation, the ability. Through, to, yes. Yeah. And then we, for example, we started a brand new professional development subscription program called Ed Mastery Pro. So for a fraction of the cost through the use of, of AI, we can ensure graduate level courses for a much lower cost and, and uh, wow. connections with universities. And so again, when a district is reimbursing an educator for their graduate courses, this kind of an approach allows less monies to be used towards that and more resources to be allocated into high quality materials for our students or the kinds of staffing models that we want them to engage in. That's amazing. That's uh, in terms of tangible benefits. Do you see more in the elementary, middle school, high school? Where do you see, you know, a step function uh, improvement as you're testing or implementing MTSS? I mean, we have seen success at every level when you every have level. comprehensive view of creating a really thoughtful mm -hmm. strategy. I mean, you're both in business. You would never start a company without a really proactive. Um, business plan, ongoing market research, constant inquiry cycles of data analysis, listening to the end user. That's what you do in business. That's what we have to do in education. And I think that really looking ahead and doing that kind of landscape analysis of like, where are we starting? What's our current impact? What are the problems of practice? And then how are we going to really kind of leverage data and not in forms of simply, we're not talking only about tests or standardized data, but perception data by talking to kids and families, instructional data. Are we seeing experiences in classrooms that mirror the world of work that we're preparing people for? But it's constant rapid cycles of improvement of which the education system has never been able to pivot very quickly because we're so entrenched in these traditional practices. And Kristen and I working with many different state departments of education, school districts all over the world, we really try to focus on the planning piece first. We have to stop being so reactive in education because all these band-aids did not fix the canoe. We're drowning. And so we have to start over. 10 seconds for Miguel Cardano. What would you say to the secretary of education? So. Please stop spending so much money on standardized testing. <laughs> I, I, we would love to actually get a, a seat at the table to have a conversation about the efficacy of this kind of a model of really looking at our systems and making shifts and changes that don't require adjustments to budgets, but require significant adjustments to how we do things just because that's how we have always done them. Our classrooms should not look like they did in the 1900s, and they do. I want my one-room schoolhouse. No, I was just kidding. Uh, so, so, so the states, the states are the laboratory of experimentation, right? And so, you're probably thinking it's going to happen at the state level, the territory level, as you as you work your way up. Is that, is that kind of the thought process, or school district by school district? It, it really depends on the different um, locations. So, for example, in Massachusetts, every single town and city has their own functioning school district. In some of the yeah. other states, there are these big um, districts that cover huge amounts of land. Yeah, and, you know, so. exactly, exactly. So I think it has to be a local approach, but I also think it has to be a statewide and national approach. I think if we are looking at the funding sources, a lot of the work that we do gets grant funded through entitlement grants, right? Title One, Title Two A, Title Three, Title Four. Those are federally funded grants. If they are looking at allowing systems to be shifted through the use of those funds. That alone will help ensure that the, at the local level and at the state level, those changes can be made. Two of the brightest minds in the future of education, talking about MTSS. Best-selling authors, best-selling authors, yes. Katie Novak and Kristen Rodriguez, thank you so much for being here and uh, sharing your stuff. You can follow uh, Katie on Twitter at Katie Novak, UDL, and of course, Kristen at Dr. Underscore Rodriguez 21. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Ray, Ray, <laughs> Ray. <laughs> we have four extraordinary minds. Uh, you know, uh, a great reminder to kick off the show that the spark can come from you, but for sustained positive momentum, the, the flames, the heat, the energy comes from the community. So that was a great start. And man, what an amazing uh, CEO, uh, uh, candidly. Uh, who through just personal experience, grit, determination, is building uh, a, a company that saved, did you, if I hear it correctly, over a billion savings? 
Yeah, I heard in a student billion. loans. Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. in six years, most oh. of those years being laughed at, yeah. and now look at the impact. Um, can no please sum- summarize our show for in in thirty seconds if you can. Yeah, seconds. we got a guest in the green room, and so uh, you know, look. Uh, you know, we, we've seen models shift and we think about uh, what's going on with authenticity and trust, a big concept that's going to be talked about Dreamforce next week. Uh, trust, trust is important, right? And, you know, decentralization is a big wave. We've gone from centralized to decentralization. And so what Sharon was talking about, PTPA, was very important, right? It, it, it really tugs at the heart of like, who do we trust and where yeah. do trust networks come into play? And uh, she's definitely built a community in that space. And what it's done is it's, it's helped students, it's helped children, it's helped, uh, you know, parents uh, actually, you know, find the right things for you know for the next generation uh and when we talk about next generation in terms of financial uh, literacy and really about savviness here uh, it's nice to see that you know uh, the partnerships that are created uh within startups and ecosystems yeah. and you know and government to, to really actually lift up uh, opportunities for everybody you know student debt is a huge problem right and there's two sides of the equation but the side that you can control is, is really how you invest and pay your debt uh, and what that sequence looks like. And that order of operations is really what, um, you know, we got from uh, Laurel and, and some really good advice along the way. Uh, plus, you know, some innovative, creative ways to actually look at finance. Mm. And I think the arbitrage on a five to six percent student loan and what they're doing is actually pretty cool. So that's a whole different conversation I could actually have with her at some other time. Uh, and of course, we're, we're looking at really how do we re-educate ourselves? And, and I think that is shifting. Uh, and, and there are different ways of learning, right? Uh, you know, one way was to just set, segregate groups and say, hey, magnet school here for art, magnet school here for science. You know, let's deal with everybody else somewhere else. Uh, you know, let's create these specialized programs. Uh, but we're also seeing different ways people learn, right? And yeah. it's not always one size fits all, but, you know, got to hit 80% of the folks and 800 90 billion is a lot of money. I mean, we're talking a lot of money here. So, so yeah. So there's there's a lot at stake here, especially when you think about the future of a country and, of course, the next generation. So back to you, Lala. And you, you know, and maybe you could justify that spend when you have world ranking of where we sit in terms of education quality. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's it's like the same thing in the healthcare expenditure. You know, highest spend and 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 not at the top when it comes to you know lifespan. So it's just not a good product uh, at this point, and we're spending a lot. So amazing. Please read the book, uh, and uh, thank you for watching us. Uh, we're, we're not going to be on air next week. Both Ray and I are at various uh, um, uh, conferences. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I got a small conference uh, that I'm hosting. Uh, but we will be back on uh, September 22nd which is episode 336. We'll have Chris Roeder, Executive Managing Director at Broker Lead. We'll have Sonny Singh and Lisa Sun, author of Gravitas, The Eight Strengths That Redefine Confidence. Uh, So if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for watching us today. And we look forward to seeing you in two weeks, September 22nd. Uh, Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.